Last week, uh, we also saw Jesus doing some welcoming. We looked at Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. Um, and we looked at the, uh, the different gospel accounts as well. This miracle, the miracle of feeding the 5,000, is the only miracle outside of the stories of the Holy Week, which we're in right now. Uh, this is the only miracle that um, is accounted for by all four uh, apostles that wrote the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so one of the things that I liked was looking at the account from Luke, where Luke mentions when Jesus arrives, Jesus wants to be alone. He gets to the shore. There's a whole group of people, and Jesus welcomes them. Jesus arrived on a boat. It's not necessarily his shore, yet it is because he welcomes them. He has ownership, and he, despite wanting to be alone, sees the needs of the people, feels compassion on them. We talked about this thread of compassion that was through all these verses. feels compassion on them and welcomes them and begins to heal them. And Luke was actually the only gospel account that talked about this welcoming of people. And so I really like Luke for that. And as I read more in Luke, I'm seeing that he often references and looks at these small things that Jesus says or that Jesus does that maybe the other gospel accounts don't do. That's not voiding the other gospel accounts. That's not making them um, unqualified. We talked last week about how the gospels, it makes sense that they're a little different. It doesn't um, make them not count or uh, not worthwhile, but in, in fact completes the gospel and gives us a deeper story and a deeper meaning of Jesus by seeing him from all these sides. Um, and so today we'll actually be looking at Luke a little bit more because of that. So we're here. It is the start of Holy Week. And some of you, uh, maybe all of you, grabbed a, uh, a palm branch. Maybe we know why we grabbed that today. Maybe we don't know why. Oh, somebody made a cross back there. That's really cool. You should do that for everybody. Um, and so we have these palm branches. It is Palm Sunday. Um, before I actually walked into church and saw the palms, I would not have known any different had I not known that it was actually Palm Sunday. My trip from Hiram up to Cleveland today, nothing presented itself as, hey, this is the start of Holy Week. We are now going to be celebrating the feast of the Passover for the next eight days, or now that Jesus has come and died, and we now have Easter as well, celebrate Passion Week. Um, nothing really pointed to that. It was very different when I lived in Rome. My first year in Rome, I remember um, actually waking up to some singing and some noise. I lived on the fifth floor of an apartment, had a big terrace, and I didn't know what was going on. I look outside, and there's a whole group of people singing and waving palm branches. They're all dressed, and it was a local parish. They were just walking through celebrating Palm Sunday. And everybody knows in Italy that it is Palm Sunday. I don't think too many people in America necessarily know that it's Palm Sunday. And if they do know, not many people celebrate. But I am happy to see some people know how to make a cross out of it because Italians were doing that too. Um, and so today we will be looking at why we celebrate Palm Sunday, what it means, its significance. Uh, this now is mentioned in all four Gospels. Uh, it's in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. So like I mentioned earlier, wanting to see from Luke's perspective because Luke brings something out in um, this triumphal entry. Uh, it's not always called Palm Sunday in your Bibles. Maybe it's called the triumphal entry of Jesus um, into Jerusalem. But this account from Luke gives us something that um, I relate to and I really like. And so I'd like to share from that today. So um, we're going to read verses uh, 28 to 44 from Luke chapter 19. So if you're able, please stand to read 
uh, the Word of God. We stand for a couple reasons. One reason is because it's a sign of God moving in our community. Uh, we also stand because we're thankful that God has given us His Word uh, for us to learn from. So let's read this and allow it to um, penetrate our hearts and minds and, and learn from it. Luke nineteen twenty eight to 44. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will be a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your words. We thank you for a day that we have to celebrate uh, the Passion Week, the first day uh, that leads to your eventual resurrection, the death that led to our salvation. We thank you that we can learn from your word that you've given to us. And I pray that we won't just read these words, but that we will understand them. And it will help us grow in our faith. Thank you for being with us here this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, so, this is our scripture that we're reading. It's Palm Sunday. You all have palms. Not once was a palm referenced in these verses. So maybe you're mad at Philip for choosing these verses because it seems like a lie. Well, it's not. We'll get to the palms later. But first, I want to look at these seemingly crazy directions that we have from Jesus to the disciples. Um, By no means do I think the disciples would be um, surprised by Jesus anymore. They lived very normal lives before. We had a handful of fishermen, have a tax collector, and another group of misfits that we don't even know what their previous occupations were. But I believe that they were not doing too many things out of the ordinary. Now that they know Jesus, they're living some pretty crazy stories. They are now seeing people walk on water. They're seeing uh, food, fish, and bread multiplied to feed 10,000 people when they started with five loaves and, uh, and a couple fish. They're seeing Pharisees and scribes stumped by Jesus and frustrated. They're seeing all these different things that are astonishing, and they're seeing all these things come true from what Jesus talks about. So I don't think it would make sense for them to be surprised by anything Jesus does, but we still see them being surprised. We see them being skeptical very often, uh, which I can be skeptical of things too, even though I know Jesus is who he is. Um, And so In these directions, we see Jesus telling his disciples a few things. Go, take, 
Okay, go find and take. Go somewhere to this random place. Find this random thing and take it. Okay, so the disciples are told these very specific directions, and I'm just imagining them walking to do what Jesus commanded them to do. And they're probably talking to each other while they're probably still surprised by these directions. So he told us, what are we supposed to do again? Okay, let's go through this again. We're finding a colt. Okay, so we're going to go find it. We're going to take it. But what happens if somebody gets mad? Oh, yeah, the God card. Just tell them, yeah, Jesus told us to do this. We can, you know, we'll do it. Okay, so what do we do if we get caught? God card, Jesus told us. Okay, so then they go and they fulfill exactly what Jesus said. This is absurd. They use every line that Jesus told them to use. Every single thing that he commanded actually comes true. So we learn a couple things. We learn about people. We learn about God through this. What we learn about people is they were completely obedient to God. They're completely obedient to what Jesus said to do. Um, And I think it would be difficult for me to be obedient like that. But the other thing that we're seeing from this is that Jesus knows exactly what is going on. This is the first of the eight days of the Feast of the Passover. Okay, this is a giant party. This is celebrating the Israelites coming out of Egypt, right? The Passover that they didn't die because they had the blood over their door. And... They're then freed from slavery and bondage of the Egyptians. And so they have this whole week of a festival. People come in from all over to celebrate this. But Jesus knows this isn't going to be a celebration for him. He knows what's coming. He knows that he's going to be separated from the Father, that he is going to be dying for our sins. And we see from these verses that he knows it even eight days ahead of time. And all the gospel accounts are accounting for all these stories leading up to what we will celebrate next week as Easter. And so one of the reasons Jesus is doing this, we see Zechariah 9.9. This is Jesus fulfilling a prophecy. We talked uh, maybe a month ago about how Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies from the Old Testament. There are hundreds of prophecies about a coming Messiah. The odds of all those coming true in one man are below slim to none. And Jesus fulfills these. And so we see in Zechariah 9.9 that Jesus is telling him to do this because he is fulfilling yet another prophecy from the Old Testament. It reads, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy to a T. And it's not completely out of the ordinary, though, for this to happen. If I were to walk outside on East 4th and I saw somebody riding a colt, sitting on a cloak, I would be super confused. It would be very random. It would make that prophecy even more absurd. But in this scenario, it's not exactly an absurd prophecy. Okay, we have in this time, it's not all that uncommon for a general or a warlord or somebody to come in on a chariot to come in on, you know, on a steed showing that they have gone into battle, they're coming from battle, maybe they're going to battle. But this was a little bit of a part of the culture. And so at this time, where they are in Jerusalem, it is crazy packed. It's a huge party coming up. It is East 4th on St. Paddy's Day three years ago when it was 75 degrees. Okay, not last year when it was 10 and miserable. But... Um, is that. It's crowded. It's crazy. So you're going to see things happen. There's people coming from all over. 
for sure it's not just Israelites coming, but they are in the Roman Empire, so you know that the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, is going to be there. His tetrarchs, his leaders of different quarters, like Herod Antipas, who we talked about a couple weeks ago, is going to be there. And so there's a lot going on. But this isn't, like I'm saying, isn't necessarily an absurd prophecy because peace is represented from a cold. If we see the rest of Zechariah 9, okay, we got 10 up there. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. Okay, he will cut off the chariot. So the chariot is representing war. The colt is representing peace coming in. So here comes Jesus on a colt. All of the crowd is going to have completely different reactions to seeing this happen. Those outsiders that have never been to Jerusalem, those people that have never been to East Forth on St. Patty's Day are going to be awestruck. They're just going to see this and think, whoa, this is crazy. Let me get my phone, take a video. I've got to put this on Instagram so people can see what I'm seeing. This is crazy. Okay, some people aren't going to understand it. Some people are going to be uh, very upset, very skeptical, <laughs> Pharisees. They're going to be mad that they are seeing Jesus come in, fulfilling yet another prophecy of the Old Testament. Because they've already decided that Jesus can't be God. So they're just trying to find ways that he is slipping up or messing up. So they're going to see him. They're going to be mad. Then there's going to be some people that are in the crowd that see somebody coming in. And they're like, oh yeah, this is representative of a, you know, a king representing peace coming into the city. This is great. I'm going to start cheering and celebrating. This is fun. You know, that's why I'm here for these eight days. It's a party. And one way they're going to do that is the palm branches. We don't have the palm branches represented here, but um, you can look at John 12, 13. represents specifically the cutting of palm branches. The other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, don't mention the palms specifically. They just mention branches, but John does give us the palms. So this is why we have these. It was representative of somebody coming back to bring peace, okay? But there's some people that are even further than this. There are people that understand more than just seeing the picture. There's people that know Jesus. There's people that have been changed by him. There's people that have been healed through his miracles, or they know somebody that's been healed. And so these people are the multitude of the disciples. Verse 37, we see that. Verse 38, it's, they're all proclaiming, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This isn't everybody saying this. This is this group of people that know Jesus for who He is. So which one are you on this Palm Sunday morning? Is uh, this day, is Jesus this morning uh, something that you're just watching from a distance and it kind of seems like a show that you want to take a video of and show your friends how crazy this experience is that you're watching? Are you very skeptical of Jesus still? Are you waiting for him to slip up? Are you waiting for somebody to mess up so that you can have a reason to hate Jesus, to hate God? Are you somebody that just feels good to join into the crowd. You've known about Jesus. You grew up hearing about him and other people are excited about it so I can get excited about it too. I can sing along too. I can yell for Jesus too because, you know, I've heard about him. Or is Jesus your blessed king? Is he your treasure? Is he somebody that you have decided to give your life to? To submit all of your life to? To lose your life so that you might find it. We see in Luke 17, verse 33, Jesus tells us this. If you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for him, then you're going to find it. That's Luke 17, 33. Are you doing that? Are you losing your life so that you might find Jesus? And 
If you're somebody that's sick of hearing all this hoopla about Jesus and you want everybody just to stop talking about it, you hate this Easter, you wish it were all about the bunny and the chocolate eggs, you're sick of hearing about Jesus, if that is you, the Pharisees were like this too. And they told Jesus to make these chants stop. Verse 40, Jesus says, even if my disciples, even if these that are cheering for God, even if they're silent, the rocks would cry out. Nature, God's creation, is going to express His Lordship and the Word made flesh. There's nothing that's going to stop it. Psalm 19 puts it this way. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Even nature is going to say this. And again, Romans one twenty, another verse that has come up again, that God reveals himself, even his triune spirit, even the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. He reveals himself through his creation. And that's not just you and I who have been created in God's image, but that would even be the rocks in this case that will proclaim God's glory. Praises, proclamations, and joy is surrounding the arrival of Jesus from this part of the crowd that is here. And uh, so I want to think about the disciples, what it is like for them. We talked a couple weeks ago about Jesus going back home to uh, his hometown. And when he goes back home, the disciples probably questioned why they were following Jesus. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Maybe you meet a new friend in college or you met a new friend when you moved to Cleveland, you had a new job, you make a new friend. And with this friend, you... You like they're awesome. Like this happens all the time. I make a friend and I'm just like, this guy is so cool. Like I'm so happy I know him. And then maybe what happens, you meet friends of friends and then you go to hang out with his friends with him and you realize that he's just the butt of all the jokes of all his friends. That's me. You can come home with me and meet all my friends. I'm the butt of every one of my friends. Well, I'm the butt of the jokes here too, maybe. Um, Maybe I'm not that cool guy to you either. But this can happen, right? And when we feel this way, when we realize that not everybody respects our best friend who we admire so much, we might question a little bit why we're following him. Well, we're not getting this here. Okay, the disciples are with Jesus and everybody is proclaiming him. They're screaming. They're praising Jesus. So I'm just imagining them just walking through the crowds, getting everybody pumped up, like, let's go. You know, they're like the Cleveland Cavs scream team with the Cavs in the NBA Finals, which is a dream now. But that's what they're doing. They're excited. They're so happy to be with Jesus. And there's so much joy surrounding all of this. And so what happens next? The next thing that happens is why I wanted to look at Luke. Because this is the only gospel account that points this out. Verses 41 to 44. Let's read them again. When he drew near and saw the city, all this joy, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He cries. Jesus cries in the middle of all of this. And we talked about this last week, this compassion that Jesus feels when he looks out to the crowd and he realizes that people don't know where true peace is coming from. He looks at the faces of the people and he saw the emptiness of their lives. 
because they didn't actually hear the message of peace. A lot of them were waving these palm branches just because they thought he was another king. They didn't realize what he was going to go through in these next, next eight days, that he was going to save them from damnation, that he was going to allow everybody an opportunity at having a relationship with him, everybody an opportunity to know God. So the fact that they're waving these palm branches shows that um, this was just the usual, usual procession for a lot of them, an earthly king that's coming, but this isn't what it was like. And this is what breaks Jesus' heart. And how I wish I had this compassion. When I saw people that were hurt, when I saw people that were broken, even if I were in the middle of a party, that I would actually feel this pain. That I would actually have this compassion towards people. And I might actually cry when I'm walking through Cleveland, when I'm going to the West Side Market, when somebody offers me a newspaper, that I would actually buy it instead of justify why I shouldn't buy it and why they shouldn't be doing that. When I would see somebody that's just asking for money, if I could actually just give money instead of coming up with an excuse as to why I shouldn't. This happened to me a lot when I lived in Rome. I was multiple times every day passing people. And, you know, there were different categories. There were the Italian homeless people, and then there were, you know, there were economic refugees from Africa. There were political refugees from the Middle East. And then there's gypsies that are here and and my heart would become hardened over time because I'd see five, ten every day, every time on the subway, everywhere I'm going. And maybe this happens to you in Cleveland. You're seeing people all the time, and your heart actually becomes hardened. And I would then justify, oh, well, the, the, the Italian homeless man, well, that is harder because he grew up here and he lost his job. But, you know, the, you know the, the gypsies, they chose this lifestyle. So, you know, I don't have to give to them. Well, did they choose this lifestyle when I'm about to be pickpocketed by a five-year-old girl? Does she know any better? I catch her, and so instead of feeling any remorse, she just giggles and jumps off the metro. She doesn't know any better. So is it really her choice? And so here I am in my mind just justifying why I don't need compassion on people, why I shouldn't suffer in their sufferings. And this is what I would like to do. I would like to feel what Jesus feels, to have an ability to cry. It's not a bad thing to cry. To feel this pain is a godly thing. It's not just a personality thing, seeing pain and crying. It's okay to do this. And we might need to ask God to soften our hearts so we can see pain. And instead of justifying it, we can actually empathize with other people. God's word, uh, Romans twelve fifteen, tells us to do this. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So this isn't something that we can do on our own. Jesus needs to give us the eyes to see, the the ears to hear, and he needs to give us the ability to feel what he feels if we want it. We can pray to become a tender-hearted person. It's not just a personality thing. It's a Jesus-changing-me thing. It's not just that I'm tough and I just don't cry. No, if, if I really know what Jesus did for me, This is biblical, right? In Romans, it tells us we can weep for those who weep. And we can serve the city by sharing this love that Jesus has freely given to us. So here we are on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, this is the start of Passion Week, the week that ultimately is leading to our ability to have eternal life. 
before the scourging and the torturing and the killing of Jesus, and before the celebration of the resurrection, which will happen on Easter at the end at next week, like we said, we're having the sunrise service, which I'm really excited about. The first day of this Passover, Jesus is triumphantly entering Jerusalem, and he weeps. And when Jesus enters in and sees your heart, when he's coming into the city, when he's coming in to visit you, is he seeing a life that's changed through prayer to become more like him? Is he seeing somebody that has put their hope and their faith and their treasure in Jesus Christ alone? Or is he just seeing another face in the crowd that doesn't understand why he's coming. Today we're doing something a little bit different than normal. Um, To end the service today, we're actually going to pray corporately. Pray for each other. I know I've been mentioning if we want this compassion, if we want this ability to be obedient the way the disciples were in getting this cult, if we want these things, we should pray for it. We can also pray for and with each other. And from what Thomas was sharing earlier, when we are in this search for a pastor, we've been sending emails out. If you're not getting them, you can start getting them. We have been asking people in the congregation to fast and pray, whatever fasting looks like for you, and and praying for this decision to be made because it's a big decision. Somebody's actually coming in for one of the latter stages of this process in just a couple weeks. And so we don't want to just send emails and tell people to pray. We want to actually spend some time praying corporately, praying in groups in different ways and for different things. So we're going to be praying for our city. We're going to be praying for this pastor coming in. We're going to be praying for each other in light of what we've learned from the text today. So if we can, um, we're going to go ahead and start this right now. If we can group up into uh, maybe three to five people, maybe people that you know, maybe people that you don't know as well. But let's get into some smaller groups here, and we're going to spend some time praying um, before we dismiss you on for lunch. So get into groups of three to five, and I'll give you your first prompt. Or more is fine, too. I see six over here. That's okay. I'm not counting. Introduce yourselves to one another. Prayer can be a very scary thing for people. And if you don't want to pray out loud, that's fine. Jesus will still hear you. But I hope some of us in this group are okay with praying. Prayer looks different for everybody. We're talking to God. We're telling God how we feel. We're telling God our hearts. And so we're going to start right now by praying uh, for Gateway Church in Cleveland, All right, for us as a body. And so these verses that are up here, they can guide your prayer. Maybe you don't know where to begin praying for Gateway. If you know how to begin praying for our church, for Gateway Downtown, then go ahead and pray as the Lord is leading you. If you don't, read this verse as a group and pray through this verse. Pray that what the Bible is telling us about the church, that that might happen for us. Um, So go ahead and take a few minutes here to pray, and I'll close us in prayer over this topic, and then we'll move on to the next one. There will, yes, yeah, there will be a separate, yeah, separate time for pastor church and a separate time for prayer for each other. So for now, let's spend a few minutes praying um, for Gateway Church in Cleveland.
the light of the world. And uh, we pray that this church, that this city will be not hidden, that this church will be set on a hill of source, and that the light from this church will draw people in to know you, Jesus, and to glorify you, God, as God and as good. We pray all these prayers. We thank you for all these prayers that um, we've all prayed to see a difference and a change in this city. Amen. Um, the next slide. maybe. Oh, thanks, Brian. Um, we're going to spend some time here to pray for uh, this pastor search, um, for the pastor to be... So you can go ahead and read through each of these verses. If you would like to, again... Go ahead and let the prayer get let the uh, scripture guide your prayer if you want. Um, but if you are uh, in the know with the pastor search and you know what to pray for, please by all means do it. Um, so here, let's have some time now to pray for our pastor to be. God, we do pray for our pastor to be. I echo all these prayers that have gone up and. Um, I pray for a pastor who will say to Cleveland, your God reigns. Something that will be nourishing and feeding uh, the church. Something that is just after your heart. And I pray for discernment amongst the elders and the other leaders as we go through the decision process of finding a pastor. Lead somebody here. Lead the person here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, now let's, uh, let's spend some time here to pray for each other. Um, so may uh, what we read from the Word today guide that if we need to. Uh, this is a good time if, um, if you're comfortable with it to share with each other maybe what you do specifically need prayer for, uh, for the week, for now, um, just in general. Uh, but if nobody does want to offer up specific requests, um, let's pray for each other that we might know this peace, that we might understand this Palm Sunday a little bit better, and that we will know the time of Jesus' visitation in our lives. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you um, for meeting us here, for being in this place on Palm Sunday, the week, the day that is starting Passion Week. And God, I pray that you will move in our hearts and our minds and our lives throughout the week as we have a chance to reflect on what you did for us on that cross. And that we can meet a week from now in celebration of that. Thank you that you have died for our sins that we can find our completeness, our joy, our contentness in you, God. That we can find you, Jesus, as our true treasure and that we can make you our God and nothing else. God, I just pray for encouragement throughout the week that you will help us realize why we're here, um, that we will grow in our faith and our knowledge of you more, that we will leave this place 
understanding the true peace that you came and brought to earth for us. We thank you and love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.